0: Hi, this is Joe. And I'm Amy. And this is What Makes It Fun with Joe. And Amy. <laughs> hey, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to the first episode of What Makes It Fun with Joe and Amy. <laughs> uh, Amy's mic is on fire. Hold on a second. This is already fun.
1: I'm in. All
0: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> awesome, we have that on video too. Uh,
1: cool. And so, that's it for what we.
0: <laughs> so, for our first episode, we're going to talk about um, what makes a product fun and the reason why we have this podcast to begin with. Uh, it's about looking at links between different forms of entertainment and how to make them engaging, entertaining, and fun. Um, so, let's get right into it. So, I guess I will start off by talking about the actual fun theory that I came up with and why I'm doing this podcast. Um, First of all, I am a game designer and uh, a pro wrestler, a stuntman.
1: There's very little Joe isn't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What else have I done? Oh, I worked for Disney Imagineering and... Uh, I was, uh, for a short period, I was a knight at, uh, medieval times.
1: No, you weren't. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I got the job, but it conflicted with my schedule, so I couldn't actually go and do it. But, uh, that was kind of cool. Um, I'm, there's other stuff. Uh, Amy, uh, you want to brag about yourself a little bit?
1: I'm amazing. Um, I'm a voiceover actress and improviser, and I've always been a long time nerd also. I don't know if that pulls to my credit or not. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, lots of comic books, lots of cartoons, um, and a certified lover of fun.
0: Yes, we mm-hmm. are. Um, so I had a podcast called Game Design with Joe Method uh, a few years ago where I talked about how to make video games engaging, entertaining, and ultimately fun, where I, I interviewed game designers, and then um, I started taking improv, where uh, Amy took improv at the West Side Comedy Theater. And I started noticing a lot of uh, similarities between how to make improv fun and how to make games fun. There's a lot of things that you learn about making something clear, about engaging an audience, um, stakes, as mm-hmm. they call them in improv. Uh, and then I started finding links between pro wrestling and a bunch of other stuff I was doing. And I put that on my podcast, which is still on iTunes now, called uh, Game Design with Joe Method. And Go it, listen. Yeah. <laughs> Please rate, rate subscribe. Um, and... I decided to make a podcast dedicated to just exploring uh, what makes something fun in all forms of entertainment. Um, so, in this podcast, we talk about how different products are fun, but also we talk about what specific products uh, that we love and why we love them, and then products that are good but they're not like they they don't quite make it to fun, but they're almost there. And we offer suggestions um, based on our ex- expertise in the entertainment field about how they could kind of cross that line of just being a little better, uh, a little more readable to the audience, a little more um, clear, a little more have higher stakes, be more engaging, uh, things like that. we got some awesome guests uh, lined up. Um, uh, We have some people in podcasting, uh, TV producers, uh, Disney Imagineers, comic book writers. um, TV show writers. TV show writers, psychologists. um, A lot of cool stuff uh, coming up. All All right. So, uh, so um, about the fun theory. So, the way this started was, I had a game design class, and uh, uh, in a level design class, uh, I showed the level to my teacher, and he said, "He said that level's not fun." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, uh, well then, how do I make the level fun?" And I kind of expected an actual answer, which is kind of weird. And he said, if I knew that, if I knew how to make something fun, I would be a millionaire. And I thought,
1: this guy sounds like a horrible teacher. <laughs> <way>. <laughs> this sucks. I don't know how to make it better.
0: <laughs> and he had like an English accent. So he was like, uh, kind of like this, like a James Bond villain or something like he did.
1: That's, a, that's step one to making it fun. Have an English accent. Yeah. It, it does
0: give a, uh, like, uh, some, a certain type of gravitas <laughs> to whatever you're saying. Um, this level sucks. It's
1: not even high level, like Queens <laughs> English. He just called me. Oh, what's this? <laughs> this is crap, governor.
0: <laughs> That's all it takes for, uh, <clears throat> uh, I, am very bad at uh, accents as, as you might know now. So <laughs> they all sound the same to me. Um, all right. So, uh. That's the first apology on the end of our episode, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> English people and cockney speaking people. Um, so he said, so t- I thought of two things when he said that. I was, first thing was that that's that's a good point. You would be a millionaire if you knew what makes healthy fun. Um, and the other thing was that uh, I realized that no one really had the answer. Like if, this guy specialized in creating fun products for a living, I mean, level design, game design. And he didn't know the answer and he didn't—he never thought about it. And then I realized that everyone I knew and everyone that I've asked since then, they don't really take the time to think about what makes a product fun. But if you think about it, that's what all companies are trying to do. Yeah. All companies that exist are trying to make their product fun because having a fun product is the reason why you go and do whatever that product is or buy that product.
1: I wonder if there's like a a funologist out there. <sighs> there are people who specialize in like what makes you happy. So I wonder if there are people who specialize in that.
0: I, well, uh, and according to the research I've done, um, the closest thing is Ralph Koster, who wrote a book called uh, "A Theory of Fun," huh? and but it's some, kind of specifically to games. Um, from what I remember, it's mostly has to do with games and how to make games fun. But he doesn't really define fun. Um, it's kind of like, here's how you get to fun in a way, but it's not like kind of like what what my fun theory is, is pretty much it's black and white. It's, yeah. it's really here's the four steps that get there. Um, and while we're on that subject, here are the four steps to get to fun. Hold on. I'm still.
1: Hold on. There. Hold yeah! on. Okay. <laughs>
0: that wasn't worth it. Um,
1: step one Add a, yeah. Uh,
0: so the first, so in order to have fun, I'm going to, I'll tell you the four steps and I'll work them backwards. Um, the first step is, is, uh, set expectations. You need to set expectations of the user of whatever product you're building. The second step is, uh, engagement. So once expectations are set and once people know what to do and why they're doing it, you need to make them care about it. You need to make them focus on it. And a lot of people that I've worked for, they're afraid to define engagement also, which is kind of weird. But what I've learned through trial and error, through building indie games and, and uh, professionally, commercial release games and things like that, is that uh, engagement is essentially focus. You want to keep people focused on what you're doing. Because like an improv, if you're doing something, if you're playing a character or you're trying to build a moment and people aren't paying attention to you, what's the point <laughs> yeah there's there's no point in it and whatever you do after that it won't pay off
1: right cuz no one will care
0: yeah so then what would you do at that point in improv would you just reestablish something or
1: you have to get the audience's attention back so <laughs> usually uh, to make an audience member care if you're just talking solely about I- improv you have to have an emotion Because humans immediately identify with an emotion, whether you're really angry or happy or sad or whatever. If you do that, people will start paying attention. Oh, something's going on. Like he's screaming or like she's crying hysterically or like he's jumping for joy. And then you've got their focus and tension. They care again because they want to know why and how's it going to pay off.
0: Oh, okay. That's really good. Yeah, if you
1: ever get stuck in a scene and you're like, "Oh man, this is going nowhere. I've got nothing," then you just go and like choose an emotion to have, like feel strongly about something, and people will be like, "Well, that's an interesting opinion. I wonder why." You know. I like that.
0: that. Yeah, that's really good. I I do like the. I think it's a special gift that some improvisers can be very quiet and. And like get really deep about something, and then you—if that pulls you in too somehow—I don't know how they manage to do it. I think I
1: I if they think, seem like they honestly, if like they're a good actor and they seem honestly invested in what they're talking about, you don't have to be huge to be like have an emotional reaction. If you're just sitting there like talking about this day, and like you can bring focus like that too, because it's all like the amount of your emotion, not necessarily the volume of your voice. Mm-hmm
0: okay cool so yeah once you so you have you have uh, set expectations people know what's going on Um, you've set ground rules there's clarity Uh, and then you have engagement which is focus. you have the users focus whether you're playing a video game or they're on an attraction at Disneyland or they're watching an improv show they need to pay attention to what you're doing Mm -hmm. so once you have engagement you need tension there needs to be some form of tension um, and so, a lot of people say that you can have fun. A lot of games, uh, for example, are are popular, but they're not necessarily fun. <laughs> what? Yeah,
1: and well, like Farm- <laughs> Math Blasters.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that goes without saying. <laughs> but there's uh, like Farmville, for example. So a game can be engaging without being fun, but still accomplish its goal. And wow. it's where it just engages you. And the good thing about engagement is that uh, it makes you forget your problems. Because if you think about it, you can have fun if you're thinking about school, problems at school, problems at work, uh, if you're unemployed. Uh, you can have fun if you're thinking about that. So when you're engaged in uh, in, in a show or a game or, or anything, you forget your problems and you're in the world that has been created. For
1: you. I feel like the only thing that like kind of goes against that would be Drama, because sometimes drama is so fun. Like, you know, when you're, you know, because that's tension in your own life. I and mean, especially if it's not involving you, but like two of your friends, like, oh my God, he said what? Right. Like, that can be so fun.
0: Yeah. In, yeah. in life, but, but you, again, you're, you are focused on that problem rather than, and usually it's in a safe environment where you know yeah. that nothing serious is going to happen. That's when it's fun. But we'll get, oh, we'll get into that when we talk about, we're going to have an episode on horror movies and fear and things like that. About what makes those fun, and I'll talk more about safety there. Um, so once you have engagement, uh, you need tension because um, tension is essentially raising the stakes of something, and where you don't un- where you don't know exactly what's going to happen next. You don't know if Mario's going to make that jump. You don't know if uh, Tony Soprano is going to kill that guy. Uh, you don't know if Batman's going to be the Joker. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen next. And fun is the next step, which is essentially discovery. You discover the answer that cuts that tension. Um, Christoph Waltz has a really good quote where he says, uh, laughter is the cutting of tension. Uh, and and to me, uh, I see tension as the volume of fun. The more tension you have, uh, when you cut it, that's how much fun something is. Mm-hmm. So you got have something with very low tension, very low stakes. And when you cut it, it'll be kind of fun, but the higher the stakes, and it could take like half a second to know that much tension, or it could take like half an hour. But as soon as you cut that tension, that's where fun is. And that's what fun is in essentially almost everything.
1: You know, that's so interesting. I've read this theory before about laughter, about jokes, mm-hmm. where, um, part of telling a joke is the fact that you, you thought it was going to go someplace and it went something else, yeah. somewhere else. And then, when you see that flip, there's a part of you that didn't expect it. So it's almost a fearful reaction to laugh because it's a release of that tension of, whoa, this happened like I didn't think it would. And that's a body's reaction of like, ha ha. Oh, like, you know, when you're nervous and you laugh mm-hmm. the same thing.
0: Right. Um, yeah. And it's, it's kind of like, but the thing is the reason why it's discovery instead of before it used to be a uh, surprise and I switched it from surprise because I could, you know, uh, you could be in an improv show. You could be building up a scene between a a dad and a son and how are they going to fix a tractor? And then some guy comes in and shoots both of them. That's a surprise, but there's no payoff. It doesn't make sense. So discovery means that you're discovering something that's real in in that world that you created or in real life. Mm -hmm. So it's specifically discovery. It has to be true because... It's you could just surprise anyone at any time and it doesn't mean it's fun it just means like that you just surprised them it's kind of cheap in a way yeah Discovery is like is essentially truth, and they always say there's truth in comedy. Yes. Uh, and that's what makes it funny
1: mm-hmm. in a
0: lot of ways. And as long as you don't see that truth coming, you could create the tension. You could kind of uh,
1: yeah, do that you in comedy. don't see the truth coming, but it fits in the world when it's there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's one thing I love about improv. Well, there's a lot of things I love about improv. But one of the things I love improv is about how the worst thing you could do is sell out a character for a joke. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to give you examples but he could have just like, I remember there's uh there's a guy that walked into a scene and he said, man, I don't like anything about my life. I don't like how it's going. Oh, chocolate. And he kind of he, like, he got a small laugh, but now people don't know.
1: Yeah. To believe him anymore. Actually, there's a, there's the book truth on comedy. And yeah. they have an example in that book uh-huh. of where, you know, like there's a, a guy on stage and a woman on stage. And he's like, um, I'm leaving and I'm taking the kids and she says, well, we don't have any kids and there's a laugh there, but then it's like, well, now we don't know what, to, where to go. We yeah. don't know who to trust. You know?
0: Yeah. And. Like, yeah, you got the joke, but then you sold out like everything else. Mm -hmm,
1: Exactly. Like we, the very start of the scene, like what a beautiful opening line, like I'm leaving and I'm taking the kids Yeah. then just to cut the legs out under it. Mm -hmm. It's like, now you guys have to actually start from ground zero.
0: Right. And it's, it's also why they say you shouldn't have any drunk characters or high characters because you, where, where exactly is reality at that point where you can't discover anything because the expectations are all over the place
1: at that point. You have to be a very talented improviser to do uh, drunk or high because you need to trust the people on stage yeah. or at least trust that the actor can portray that accurately.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So in a nutshell, that's what the fun theory is. Um, it's,
1: uh, uh-huh. yeah, go step by step.
0: <laughs> it's, um, set expectations, engagement, tension, discovery. Uh, in that order, can across we, all mediums, huh?
1: Can we do this? Can we do a wedding show? I'd be so interested to see, like, how would you use this to make a wedding or an event fun? Like know. that. Because, you know, people are like, I want my wedding to be fun. Right, like, right. How would you do that?
0: There's, there's a lot of ways. Um,
1: we could a fake murder mystery wedding. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, you could, you could have, well, you could do like, there's so much to work with. Like you want to re you don't want to invent like an improv, you don't want to invent things. You could just reinvest in what you have. So you could have like some guy go up and
1: say he was with the bride. (laughs) Oh, interesting. We'll do a wedding show. It's been decided.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You could create tension like that. And then he could be just kidding. Um, But there's a lot of ways. And this, yeah, this goes across uh, live events, weddings, um, in pro wrestling. You do this a lot. You you want to create tension. That's why when you give someone a special move, you condition the audience that they lose after that special move. So when they kick out at the count of two instead of three, everyone's like surprised because you have that tension one, two, and then he either kicks out or he does it, but you have that discovery at the end of that. So they use a lot of these in wrestling, in video games. They, there's a ton of this. Um, in fact, one of the biggest... uh in designing a lot of games uh, over the last uh, 11 years, including League of Legends, um, there, one of the biggest tropes there is, is having something always around the corner. You always want something around the corner. So you retain the audience. Yeah. Um, because you want them to discover something. And that's they the engage
1: part, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And there's always something to discover. So you keep them engaged. You keep their focused and, uh, things like that. So that is the fun theory in a nutshell. Uh, and now we have a couple of cool segments that we planned. Uh, um, also we're improvising this entire thing. <laughs>
1: uh, no, no, it's not obvious at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we might, we'll probably come up with more segments that we think are going to be fun. Uh, but we have a couple of cool ones. Um, the first one is called Certified Fun. Yeah. <laughs> that's if we, we talk about, um, what products are, are like products that we think um, really use uh, engagement and retention and tension and um, uh, discovery. Setting expectations and discovery really well. Um, it doesn't matter what medium it's in. It doesn't even matter. I To me, the content doesn't matter that much. Like I don't care if it's controversial or whatever. If someone is able to do these steps uh, successfully and really well and able to engage an audience, even if it's niche, um, uh, I'm going to put it into certified form.
1: If you do these things, you're going to have a good time.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you don't do these things, you're going to have a bad time. Um, uh, all right. So let's get on with that.
1: This is Certified Fun. Yeah! Oh, you can barely hear the little yeah. <laughs> well, let's do it again. This is Certified 100%. Fun.
0: Okay, that's yeah. the mic. All right, we're still figuring this out. <laughs> All right, so um Certified Fun. Uh,
1: I'll, I'll... Do you want to go first? Oh, for what I think is Certified Fun? Yeah. So for my favorite movie? Yeah. Okay, we're going to talk about our favorite movies of Certified Fun. And my favorite movie is Monster Squad, which probably nobody actually remembers. It's basically like the Goonies for horror. And it came out, I think it was like 1992. Maybe that's too soon. Somewhere in the, like, like 1989 to 1992. Um, but the whole plot of it for the, everyone who hasn't seen it, which is everyone is, it's just like this town, where there is a group of kids who has a monster club okay. and they, they love monsters, whatever. The kid has a shirt that says Stephen King rules. Mm-hmm. Also huge Stephen King fan. So like, I desperately wanted the t-shirts to this day right. and. You know, like they go around their little lives and whatever, and then real movie monsters come to their town. So, like, yeah. Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy, where, werewolf, and uh, uh, fishman uh creature from the Black Lagoon, end up at their town. And these kids, plus, like, a few extras, are the only people that can save this town from opening this portal that will basically, like, suck good out of the world and make bad the only thing there. So, it's a bunch of, like... 10 and 12 year old kids who have to save this town and essentially the world. There's also like a beautiful 80s montage <laughs> where Rudy, who's like the badass 13-year-old kid, he's like the oldest one, slick back hair, yeah. rides a bike but still like smokes a cigarette. Um, he like he does everything in this movie. Anyway, so uh spoiler alert, kids win. And um this movie is so ridiculously fun. Um it's really bad. Like it's um the special effects are sometimes like bats on strings bad uh-huh. um but like you watch these kids and like immediately like they're the perfect image of like what childhood was like at that era and like they all have terrible clothes. There's like a fat kid. Oh man, it's also like totally not PC anymore. Like they stamp on they stamp stamp on this kid's candy bar and call him a faggot. Oh really? Yeah, they do. And they're like, this is in a movie. Like that would never be okay for a family movie now. For like you're a faggot. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you can't. Um, and then like they have they also like kind of have some negative German references, but they, they, cause there's a German guy who helps them. Yeah. But later on, like they, they kind of clear it up because they make it like he's a Holocaust survivor moment. <laughs> anyway, like the movie is just, it's just fun. It makes fun of itself. That's probably one of the reasons I love it the most is because like, it'll sort of you know have a moment like, Oh, 10,000 year old dead guys. Don't just get up and walk away. And then they'll show the mummy walking away, you know, (laughs) and they'll have like, they'll just have silly moments where there's like this kid and he's like telling his dad, he's like, you know, there's a monster in my room. And the dad comes in and the dad is like a huge jackass where he jumps around the room going like, Oh, look at all the monsters in here. Get out, get out, get out. (laughs) You know, and then he's just like, oh! And he like opens the closet, but he's looking at the kid, and there's a the mummy in the closet, like, <laughs> and the dad is just, like, doesn't look at all, and the kid is freaking out, and he's just like, you're not sleeping with your mother and I, please. <laughs> 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 And they just have great moments <laughs> like that where they make, they just take time out for jokes uh, and they're not at one point, like the most famous line from this movie is, um, you know, Wolfman's got nards cause oh, yeah, the, the, the fat kid kicks him in the balls. Um, so uh, yeah. It's a good time. The special effects in places outside of bats on strings uh, wow. are really good like they have the same guy i think it's the same guy who did the michael jackson transformation oh. and all the american werewolf and uh and london transformation does the transformation for the wolf man and it's just beautiful oh. yeah it's it's a, just a great movie because it's just fun and silly and like you wish you were those kids and, saving the world
0: and you were on board from the very beginning like the concept wasn't like weird to you or-
1: well the, i mean you know Side note, I love horror and I love monsters. So I was there. I was like, I would have been a part of this club, even though they totally weren't about women. (laughs) They're totally like misogynistic jerks, but I totally would have been in this club. And it's, you know, Goonies is fun like that, where you wish you were these kids, like going around their town, saving it from pirates, meeting huge, like more like mutant people. (laughs) It's just a good time. And this is the same way. Same thing. They even have like Frankenstein joints their side. So he's kind of like their sloth. And they have their version of Chunk whose name is Horace. <laughs> it has a badass moment where they're like, fat kid, you saved us. And he's got a shotgun. He goes, my name is Horace. And then he dramatically cocks the shotgun <laughs> and gets a close up with his face. It's <laughs> yeah. amazing.
0: So do you find that like, because of that movie, you like similar movies to that? Or is that kind of a special thing?
1: I think this movie like really sculpted the type of work that I like to write, that I like to watch and read. Um, there's a comic book series called Young Justice that was around in the late 90s, early aughts mm-hmm. that was – the first few books are the same way, just silly, ridiculous, stupid in many ways. And then the books itself, I'd love to do a, a segment on Young Justice. So incredible. Um, it, it gets serious and just drags you in. But it had that sort of like we're over the wall, we're making fun of ourselves. This is just, you know, silly, and it's a good time. But knowing that, knowing that the people who are creating this are intelligent and taking care of you mm. makes such a huge difference. Than people are just being like, I'm being wacky to be funny, like not right. the same thing.
0: Yeah, it's really satisfying.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, knowing you're in good hands. That's awesome. Uh- yeah. <laughs> never, that's not gonna get old at all. Never, no. never. <laughs> uh,
0: so my uh, certified fun is uh, the adventures of Milo and Otis. Um, so when I when I said that, I don't really like as long as it's done correctly, the storytelling and all that. Um, I did, like the real life part of it where the animals were probably hurt. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of that. But as far as the story writing and the editing and how they pace that movie is mm-hmm. what I'm really basing this on. Uh, so the thing I love about The Adventures of Milo and Otis, uh, I think it was released in
1: 1987? 88? Sounds about right. Yeah.
0: Um, it's about a kitten and a, and a pug puppy.
1: Already a win. And, yeah,
0: <laughs> and they, they're on a the farm and they're best friends. And then the cat, he's kind of curious and he, um, he gets, uh, he goes in a box and he goes down the river by accident. Well, he's kind of having fun. The puppy chases him. But then they start getting further and further away from home. And then the movie is about them trying to get home, the puppy trying to catch up to the kitten, and then trying to get both of them back home. And they keep getting in worse and worse trouble. They fight bears and, like, birds and get lost at sea <laughs> and all this crazy stuff. And at the end of the movie, um, this is, like, one of the – I think this is the first movie I cried at the end of –
1: uh, I think but there were many, many there. more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> After that, every movie. Every <laughs> okay. um, uh, At the end of the movie, uh, the thing that really, like as a kid, this it really hooked me really fast because, and, and it, again, I think it did shape a lot of what I like, um, same as yours, mm-hmm. because my favorite theme now is atonement. Like that's my favorite in, in, in really
1: <laughs> from Milo and Otis. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I just, I'm like the cutest little, you know, Milo, you know, cute little friend. <laughs> Otis. <laughs> Atonement. <laughs> it's about like kind of, uh,
0: um, like finally finding that thing that you lost in the end. Uh, a lot of, I, I think the, one of my favorite ways they do this is in, uh, what was that movie that was produced by Tim Burton about those guys who made out of like, they're the little dolls. It's
1: called, oh, number, yeah, number nine? Yeah. It's, yeah. what, well, it is a number. It's like number nine or number seven.
0: Yeah, it's something like that.
1: Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And
0: and I really
1: hated that movie. Oh, good. I didn't like it either. I was like, that's going to be polite. <laughs> I was
0: like, Ugh. <laughs> it sucked. But uh the thing I did like was the very end when the priest, because he was a total dick the whole time, the whole movie. And at the end, he sacrificed himself to save everyone. And that part is that part specifically is the thing where I was like, it kind of made me like the entire movie because of that.
1: Wow. Just
0: because I love that so much. Um, but the way they did it in Adventures of Milo and is... At the uh, at the end, you kind of know they're gonna make it home, like safe, but you're not sure because what they do in the entire movie is every time Milo and Otis meet up again, like he saves them, or he catches them, they get split up again. Yeah, and they do that like two or three times, and the last time it's because of choice because Milo decides to go with this uh, female cat that he finds, and it's kind of like he wants to go and have kids with her, and and the the pug uh, Otis he's kind of he doesn't want to be a third wheel so he leaves so it's like oh no they're not gonna be together but because it's my choice it's not my circumstance anymore but then um, they come back together at the end and Otis has a family so they both have families now and then they both uh, get together and they start walking home but even then you still don't believe that they're gonna make it home because every time they got together they always split apart so it it conditioned me to not trust the movie, that they were going to make it this time, it's not until the final shot where they show the barn and they start pulling out of that shot, and then they show Milo and Otis sitting in front of the barn. And that, that shot always gets me every time because it's finally... Like, it's like Yeah, there's tears right yeah. <laughs> now. You know, what they want. And and that that did everything perfectly. It set the expectations. Like I knew what these characters were about from the beginning. I knew how much they cared about each other. The no, the engagement was there. I cared about them because because honestly because they put these animals in real danger and that was the oh, wrong. way. <laughs> it is so awful. But as a kid, I didn't understand that. I do now. But 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 you, I cared about these characters so much. And then every time they'll come together and they'll be in danger, there's like a ton of tension and releasing of that tension. And they they kind of do that throughout the whole movie until they finally show up at the end. Finally, you discover that they. Reach the end where they wanted mm-hmm. to go the entire time, and they do, and they pull, they draw that tension so well, and mm-hmm. that's why that is uh, this first episode for me is certified fun. All right, so um, now almost the opposite of that, we have a, a segment called almost fun or fun almost.
1: Go ahead, play the play the, play the clap. <laughs> All right,
0: I think this is self-explanatory. This is fun. <laughs> Almost. Right. <laughs> right. We have to with those levels.
1: Oh yeah. Um, also, you gotta cut that because then there's me like just praising you after. <laughs>
0: oh my god, it
1: so good. <laughs> Let's
0: keep that. Uh, so, <laughs> so this is about products that, or or anything really, shows that had a really good concept or a really good. They did a lot of things right, but there's just something about it that was askew that wasn't that didn't make it satisfying, and we're going to offer suggestions on how they could have made it a very satisfying product. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The the first one for me is the Royal Rumble for 2015, this year. Uh, I'm going to make it short because I can talk about wrestling forever. But the problem with this was that they had Roman Reigns win the Royal Rumble. And when you win the Royal Rumble, you go to WrestleMania to win the bout, essentially. And the thing is, everyone on the internet knew that Roman Reigns was going to win WrestleMania a year ago. And when people know that they don't want to just, it's like you're telling them the end of the movie and then you have to watch the movie. Like, but in this case, because wrestling is kind of interactive, people have a voice. So people didn't want to see Roman Reigns because they knew that they had like pre-selected him. And they're there. It's like, they were telling the audience, here's your hero root for him. He's your guy. And there's no discovery in there. That's the reason why people are booing. It's not that Roman Reigns sucks or anything. He's a very good performer. He's very talented. But it's just that they were telling the audience what to like. And they didn't give any discovery for the audience. There's a lot of crowd favorites that are kind of underdogs that you wouldn't have expected to win. But who would have been championship material like Daniel Bryan or Dean Ambrose. And if you would have had them win, first of all, there would have been a huge discovery moment. But it also would have been fun because everyone and their mom knew that Roman Reigns was going to win, and so when he won—oh yeah, I knew. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> doesn't even wrestle.
1: No, no, I just knew. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he just like the force.
1: Uh huh.
0: Um, so, so that's why that is my almost fun, uh, fun almost for uh, this episode is they could have made the Royal Rumble a lot more satisfied by giving the audience something to discover on their own, maybe.
1: So my almost fun is gone from, what, 2004, um, I think oh, 2004, yeah. 2005, when The Village came out, uh-huh. which number uh, which everyone will remember as a great disappointment, as many of M. Night Shyamalan's movies have become. Um, but I think the biggest problem with this movie for me was that they set an expectation that they didn't meet. Yeah, All of the trailers were for a monster movie. All of them. And being that, like... Well, this is, like, prior to even getting into the movie. Because, you know, and as we've discovered... The discovery of me earlier is I love monsters and monster movies. So, I was so excited to see The Village happen. Because it was just... Oh, my God. We haven't seen a monster movie in forever. Mm -hmm. Like, a really decent one. And this one had such a great setup for it. Just... People in the woods, creatures gonna come into the night. Thank God. And then in the movie, the movie is not a monster movie, not even close to it. The whole time when you're just like, the the movie is more about the, you know the blind woman mm-hmm. going through and like figuring out things, and and you know of course the monsters aren't monsters, and it just yeah. it was so disappointing in that regard. Yeah. Um. And it, you seem like you had a thought about well expectation the, for you.
0: Yeah. The thing is. I, I, me personally, I, I knew the ending. I did too. (laughs) Not even halfway through.
1: I knew it at the beginning, but that was because I honestly didn't pay attention. You know, in the beginning, they're supposed to be burying someone and it says the year. Oh yeah.
0: Um,
1: I never read that. I just didn't pay attention to that. So to me, the entire time I'm like, oh yeah, these are people just living in the woods, pretending that it's like the 1800s. Oh. And then when she reaches the road, the entire audience went, (gasps) and I was like, What? What am I missing? What? I was with my coworkers at the time. And after we went out, I was like, what happened? Why did everyone gasp? And (laughs) I was like, Oh, so the movie for me, like that discovery moment was completely taken away, but that was just be, that was because of me. I didn't pay attention.
0: (laughs) But I mean, if it happens to you, it happens to a bunch of other people.
1: I mean, clearly you figured it out really fast. Yeah.
0: And I didn't even remember that scene. Mm -hmm. It's just, just like I was thinking about, I was like, that's probably, but I think. I think Emmett kind of did it to himself too, because people are trying to figure out the twist before yeah. it happens. Mm-hmm. So I think that did, definitely doesn't help him. But I just remember, like, uh, like I knew, I just, cause I knew the ending, none of that mattered when yeah. it happened in the movie. And, and then when it, like there was no doubt in my mind mm-hmm.
1: at all. We have to do a, a show on Game of Thrones, because they are the masters of that. Of, of the discovery moment. Oh, really? George R. R. Martin is the master of discovery because you don't know if someone's going to die and it makes perfect sense when he kills somebody. Like you're like, I hate you forever that you killed this person, but I understand that this would exactly happen this way in this world. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: was very satisfying. deaths.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Um, so that's going to conclude our first episode of what makes it fun. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Please continue to join us. Um, you could uh, like and subscribe and comment uh, on iTunes please do you can catch me at whatmakesitfun.com, com uh, Instagram slash what makes it fun and then uh, Amy
1: um, if you want to follow me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook I'm Amelia clover VO on everything <laughs> And I think that's it awesome
0: uh, so and also we are on patreon.com slash what makes it fun so please if you can uh, support us so we can continue giving out content like this. I also write articles and motivationals and do small videos. And uh, I have some 20 uh, minute episodes of what makes it fun where I interview other people like as a, like a TV show pilot coming up so we can do this full time and continue doing this and continue giving really good content and appreciate it. If you go to patreon.com slash what makes it fun and throw a little love our way. Uh, all right. So thank you a lot for joining us for our first episode. This was fun. Hey, mean, what's Bye. <laughs>